Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these far more than in a long time, hard times, data with the latest WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over his back once again, coming off the conclusion of a WWE WrestleMania 39 week that wound up even more wild than we could have expected with the sale of WWE. And now, the dreaded return of Vince McMahon to the top of the creative team. More on all of that momentarily. First, you know how we do here. Please allow the Silver King to remind you that this show is all about the five. So please stop being marks for yourselves. Go ahead. Be a mark for me. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Drop those five-star ratings on Apple. You can also leave a five-star written review. If you do, we will read it live right here on the show. Also, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news, highlights, analysis, and so much more on Twitter at Getting Overcast. And as we wrap up our eighth podcast episode in as many days, we would appreciate if you support the podcast by acknowledging us and contributing to the show through buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. The link is in our Twitter bio at getting overcast. You can become an official getting overhead with a monthly or annual membership and receive exclusive audio and news posts. The show will remain free as always, but you can also do one-off support contributions all at the right price because you know I love the number five. As you can tell, we are using a different recording setup or old school back to what we used to do. I am, of course, on the road and we don't have sound drops. So we're doing bare bones on the show today, but I'm doing the best I can. Unfortunately, there is no vintage Chris Vanini on today's show. The Silver King is riding solo, but he is going to have plenty to discuss with us next week. Also, a change to the lineup of today's show due to all the massive news and my limited time DMs about WrestleMania and the Raw after WrestleMania will be held till Thursday, where we'll talk more about, of course, AEW and NXT, along with WWE and the fallout from what has happened, where we will also talk about any additional thoughts I have coming out of WrestleMania and the sale of WWE, all originally planned for today's show, now not happening. Today's episode is going to focus on the news, wrapping up Raw, and going over the WWE Hall of Fame ceremony. With that, let's not waste any more time. You know what time it is. It is time for us to slide into the main event. And never would I have assumed Saturday night, once we wrapped our WrestleMania Night 1 Instant Analysis podcast, that 48 hours later, following the conclusion of the Raw after WrestleMania, a highly anticipated, by the way, Raw after WrestleMania, I would be nearly as disillusioned as I ever have been about WWE. And yet, here we are. Following a night two of WrestleMania that delivered in match quality, but seemed to get all of the booking wrong, the Raw after WrestleMania completely bombed. Earlier Monday, following the completion of a sale and merger of WWE with Endeavor, the parent company of UFC, to create a combat sports behemoth, as you know, with a $21 billion valuation, we learned WWE Executive Chairman Vince McMahon would take the same role with the new company. Soon after that announcement, during an in-house press interview and a whole bunch of subsequent media interviews, McMahon claimed he would indeed play a role in terms of bigger decision-making regarding WWE creative but would not be getting his hands in the weeds anymore because he doesn't have time for that. Instead, he would leave that responsibility to Paul Levesque with Triple H retaining his role as chief content officer. However, 
As we would learn, less than 12 hours after those interviews were published and held on you know, various television channels, McMahon was not only heavily involved in WWE Creative on Monday night, with his hands fully in the weeds, he oversaw the entire show from gorilla position for the first time since walking away from WWE and retiring, briefly, in 2022. And not only is Vince's return a blow to the morale of a WWE fan base that has been really enthusiastic about the product over the last few months, it has completely torn apart the locker room with rumors of some top talents going so far as planning to work out their contract or perhaps even ask for releases. This coming out of them saying publicly that Triple H still had most of the creative control, repeating that internally before the show in like an email or a letter, then having a meeting with talent with Triple H and Nikon to repeat the same thing, and literally having Triple H come out to start Raw and tell the fans, hey, if you like what WWE has been recently, nothing is changing, almost like he was Jordan Belfort. I'm not effing going anywhere. There were major changes to Raw up until and during the broadcast. Apparently, they all came last minute. The show was set. Most of what happened on the show was scheduled, but the things that were changed were very blatant, and Raw ultimately ended up as the worst episode of 2023 and one of the worst episodes of the last few years. Really, one of the worst episodes of any wrestling television over the last few years. It's rated on Cage Match, not that that's a pure metric or anything, as one of the worst episodes of all time, and it's tough to argue with that categorization. It was terrible from start to finish. Now, whether Vince is truly back full-time as the head of creative, like on a week-to-week basis, sitting in gorilla position and running the shows, that won't be known for 100% certainty until Friday when WWE goes to Portland. It's fair to say that perhaps Vince being in town all week in Los Angeles made him feel empowered coming out of the sale and led to him stepping into his old role. And while he will clearly have oversight of creative as he told us in those interviews, it is possible at least that Monday was a one-off and Triple H will indeed be in the chair in gorilla position on a night-by-night basis. But at this point, that feels like a true prayer, a total hope, and not reality. You guys know that I don't love to get into the fear-mongering and bullshit about Vince, but even before all of this reporting came out, from a trio of normally reputable publications, PW Insider, Wrestling Observer, and Fightful, it was blatantly obvious that Monday was a completely Vince-booked edition of Raw. It was a polar opposite show to what we've been getting every week for the last eight months, just like night two of WrestleMania was the polar opposite from night one. And this, to me, is just all so incredibly depressing and demoralizing. We, for so long, dealt with shitty WWE creative. We would search and claw for bright spots that could get us excited so we could enjoy the product. And then, with a flip of the switch this summer, everything changed. Trips got the book. The product was more exciting. We started getting a lot more wrestling, higher quality matches, talented wrestlers being rehired, mid-card titles being elevated. So much positive momentum, including an incredible chapter in the greatest storyline of all time. And that's why this is so depressing and demoralizing. Because in a span of 48 hours, it feel, it just feels like all of that is completely gone. Like, you all know I'm not a doomsday guy who says the sky is falling like some out there. But how else am I or anyone who watches WWE, how else are we supposed to feel after Night 2 and the Raw after WrestleMania? It's one thing for WWE to consistently be disappointing. 
It's another thing to get a taste of the good shit, the real good shit, with the exception of the women's booking, and then have this delicious meal just pulled off the table right as you're really digging into it. Like, we knew we had it good, and that's why it hurts even more now. Before, we were in the muck. We couldn't get out of it. The last eight months, we climbed out. We were in the hot springs. We were feeling ourselves. And now we're thrown right back into it on Sunday and Monday. As I said, the proof will be what happens Friday. It is certainly possible. Night two was just booking decisions we didn't like. The matches, don't forget, were still really good. And Raw was an absolute creative failure, whether it was Vince or Paul who planned most of it. Reportedly, the show did mostly go as scheduled, save for two women's number one contendership matches for a singles title that ultimately became the tag team uh, championship contenders match for the women, possibly because they needed to put damage control in that match. And both of those women, Io and Dakota, were in singles action in those other two matches. So it's possible that is part of the reason why that happened. Also, Apparently, reportedly, I should say, from Fightful, a backstage segment got pulled, which had Bad Bunny like getting inducted into the LWO or something to that degree. So not necessarily the biggest changes, certainly not Brock adjacent. That was decided apparently early Monday or whatever, when at the time everyone believed. And it seems to be true that Triple H still had the book and was doing a lot of the booking. The report is that Vince came in at the last minute and changed all this type of stuff. So it is possible that by the time SmackDown ends on Friday, We will be able to take somewhat of a collective breath, but that just does not feel likely. The only thing more depressing than watching bad TV is remembering how good it can be. And WWE gave us an eight-month reminder of what their product can be when it is competently booked, only to completely pull the tablecloth and shatter all the dishes. It is just fucking depressing. As for the Raw after WrestleMania itself, look... We have not gotten the quote-unquote Raw after WrestleMania feel that we knew and loved for years. We have not gotten it for years. But with the massive creative improvements over the last eight months and the quality of night one at WrestleMania still in my mind, my anticipation of a banger Raw was legitimately high. Now, maybe that's my fault, but there were a lot of people who could have returned. And beyond that, WWE could have set the stage for booking to come with a tournament, new feuds, whether for titles or not, or really anything that felt new and fresh to show the fans that the page has turned after WrestleMania and the wheels are in motion. Instead, it was mostly one nonsensical segment after another. Very few things developed. Nothing that built was particularly exciting. We had the men's showcase winners lose a non-title match to the champions. At least I think it was non-title. I don't believe they ever announced one way or another. The women's showcase winners weren't even on the show. That was likely due to Shayna Baszler's injury. So the women's tag team titles had to move in another direction. Seth Rollins walked out and did literally nothing. Bobby Lashley and Omas both had squash matches. Bianca Belair and Rhea Ripley, they may have set something up for WrestleMania 40, 12 months from now. But otherwise, all the women were shoved into a single, like, 20-minute slice of the show in hour three, and there were less than two minutes of wrestling in a commercial-free first hour of the show. Now, that's not to say that everything on the Raw after WrestleMania was terrible. There were a couple bright spots, but really just, like, two of them, and the last two hours of the show were mind-numbingly uneven. They lacked anything in the way of interest. As I said earlier, it was the worst Raw top to bottom in a long time, 
and for that to be the Raw after WrestleMania, coming off of everything we just discussed, the highest grossing WrestleMania, the most attended WrestleMania, the height of momentum for WWE, to give us that show is just completely inexcusable. I'm not sure how you follow up a WrestleMania like that, a historic WrestleMania, and a sale of your company, which no one thought would ever happen, with that Raw after WrestleMania. And I say this, even if you liked the main event developments, which I was mixed on at best. So let's get into the show. We'll dive into what happened Monday. There's probably a lot more to say about Vince, the creative changes and everything, but I do want to hold some of that until Chris gets back, and more importantly, until we see what happens Friday on SmackDown. But right now, just like Dennis Hopper in Speed, it feels like WWE viewers and its wrestlers are at the whims of a madman. Hell, Vince has become a caricature of himself, both physically and mentally, with the evil mustache and the dark hair, and then going back to all of his bullshit. Like, we drew parallels between WWE and Succession, and have been for a while. But anyone who saw episode two this season on Sunday, that scene with Logan Roy walking into ATN and everyone just being depressed and scared and like wanting to quit, probably not that dissimilar from how people felt when Vince showed up at the Raw after WrestleMania, except of course Logan Roy delivered the rousing speech at the end and Vince did not. Again, WWE just feels like it's at the whims of a madman. Oh, and by the way, do you want a cherry on top? Apparently the slam dunk Jay White hire by WWE is now either not happening or at least in danger. So go ahead, chew on that. Again, completely demoralizing shit. Now that was the first part of the main event. We'll get to the second part, which was the main storyline from Raw. Triple H opened Raw doing a full entrance to his theme. He put over the success and reception to WrestleMania 39, thanked all the superstars backstage, as well as Stu, the cameraman, the staff, the fans. He put over WWE dominating the news with the sale and promised the fans that everything you love is not going anywhere because WWE is then, now, and forever. Triple H got all the fans to cheer for WWE, the brand, like I honestly cannot remember anyone doing since 9-11, maybe? And then he made the fans acknowledge Roman Reigns with a huge introduction. Reigns got vociferously booed. And then even more so, once he got in the ring, right after Reigns said, Hollywood, acknowledge me, Cody Rhodes' music hit. Cody said Sunday and Monday did not go as planned. He acknowledged Roman as the better competitor, but pointed out he clearly had Roman beat, if not for Solo. Cody said he knew what he wanted to talk about. Fans chanted rematch. He said it. Paul Heyman asked for the mic and asked when Rhodes would like this hypothetical rematch. Cody said tonight to a massive pop. Roman looked at at Paul, and Heyman angrily said, no rematch. Rhodes was in no mood for chicanery, so he remained pissed at Sokoa. He demanded they at least fight in a tag team match. Fans chanted Roman scared. The bloodline consulted, and Heyman accepted it with the condition that whoever tags with Cody, number one, had to have wrestled at WrestleMania over the weekend, but number two said if that person tags with Cody, They will never get a title opportunity against Roman Reigns. And to everyone's utter shock, the perfect person answered. Brock Lesnar's music hit, and commentary reminded us that Lesnar is already barred from challenging Reigns again after losing at SummerSlam. Reigns was utterly shook, almost having like PTSD flashbacks, and I'm not trying to minimize the condition, I'm just saying. Uh, Lesnar grabbed Rhodes tight, and the bloodline retreated with fans briefly chanting, you fucked up. I thought that was pretty cool that they did that. There was a bullshit report out going into Raw that Triple H had a big announcement to open the show. The person probably learned he would open the show and extrapolated it into saying that it was a big announcement. This ended up being a 35-minute segment. 
and the fans were hyped the entire time. They booked a mega match, WWE did, and while fans were upset that Roman retained and Cody lost, you know, we got to be fair, Rhodes was still hot as hell in front of that crowd. Lesnar was also hysterical, with a big shit-eating grin on his face, grabbing Rhodes tight to his body, really excited that he was going to get one over on Reigns. It was a great opening, in a vacuum, not knowing, of course, what was going to come next, especially because, and this is a fun side note, this was on its way to being Brock's first tag team match in nearly 20 years, his first match of any kind on Raw in more than 20 years, and his first ever match on USA Network. That is absolutely wild. So we go backstage, the Usos were banging on the Bloodline locker room door, but Heyman stopped them saying Reigns and Sokoa were out preparing, and some were more successful than others at WrestleMania, but the jet was full of seafood, and they could head over early with Reigns and Sokoa meeting them immediately after the show. Jay had a great expression on his face like he knew this was all coming, while Jimmy was perplexed. After the Usos walked away, Heyman could be heard telling Reigns that he took care of it, clearly having just lied to the Usos' faces, basically shunning them for the night. Like an hour later, Reigns asked if the Usos were gone, which Heyman confirmed. Roman then asked if he knew that Brock would be at the show, which Paul said he did not. Reigns was infuriated. Lesnar got one over on him, but promised to smash both of them before tagging in Sokoa so Solo could actually prove that he is ready. Again, a really strong backstage segment, plenty of storytelling to set up the main event. Things were going well through these first two segments. So we got the main event, Reigns and Sokoa against Rhodes and Lesnar. After the ring announcement, but before the bell, Lesnar straight up turned on Cody, F5'd him once, and then F5'd him a second time. The heels looked confused, and they immediately dipped out. Lesnar hit a German suplex, tackled Cody into the barricade, and vertical suplexed him over it. Lesnar rang the bell and slammed Cody with a chair. Corey Graves kept asking over and over again, what is Brock doing, and why is he doing it? Like, he said it like... 20 times. Lesnar then rammed steel steps into Rhodes and F5'd him into the announce table. Adam Pierce came out, but Brock chased him away. Then Lesnar F5'd Cody into the jagged part of the steel steps, right in the middle of the ring, and he stood over his lifeless body. He finally left, only to change his mind and storm back inside, where he wore Rhodes out with a steel chair and choked him with it. He started screaming, perhaps the only storytelling that we would actually get here. But he must have cursed, because everything was muted for 30 seconds. So even if there was an explanation in that moment, we didn't get one. Fans looked shocked and dejected as Raw was about to end with an extended shot of Rhodes being tended to by WWE officials. Instead, it cut back to Lesnar, who walked through gorilla position back you know, onto the stage, dropped his gloves, and popped double middle fingers that aired on USA Network right before the feed cut off. Now, this entire podcast is predicated on me having words to describe what I see on television and what I thought I saw on television and what I think about what I saw on television. And I just don't really have them for this. Like, I was utterly shocked at this booking. It was almost exactly what happened in 2012 when Cena lost at Mania, Lesnar returned on Raw, shook his hand, and then F5'd him. Now, whether you liked this concept or not, and I do agree with some who say it was not automatically bad just because it was a swerve. The massive problem with it is that it's completely nonsensical. Brock has been a babyface for two years. Brock hates Roman. This was an opportunity for Brock to beat on Roman. And there was no explanation provided as to why he turned. What beef does Brock have with Cody to pull this ruse? Is heel Brock, who, by the way, has never really existed without Heyman, really going to show up on Raw next Monday 
and in the ring by himself cut a promo explaining his reasoning? I I doubt that happens. Are we supposed to assume he was pissed because another good guy didn't beat Roman like he was supposed to because Lesnar's so title thirsty and he wants back in the picture? That's not a good storyline. If Cody was champion here, there would have been a great reason to do this. Talk about a major first challenger and doing that match at King and Queen of the Ring in Saudi Arabia. But Cody's not champion. He lost. Yes, Cody was still the opening and closing segment of Raw. Yes, Cody did still get crazy reactions from the crowd. Yes, Cody is still in an angle now with one of the biggest draws in the entire company coming out of feuding with Reigns, the top draw in the entire company. These are indeed positives. But what's been great about WWE recently is us getting the why. And we got no why, nor any indication that we're going to get a why. Instead, we got a, huh? This seems to be what WWE did with Cena in 2012, as I said, when he got brought all the way down, dragged all the way down, and had to build himself back up over an entire year. The problem is, Cody already did that. His rebuild was returning to the company that refused to push him, beating one of their top stars three times, tearing his pectoral, and still beating that guy, returning from a huge layoff from the pectoral, and winning the Royal Rumble, and doing all of this for his dead father who had never won a WWE title against the most dominant champion that the company has produced in decades. That's your adversity. How many more hurdles does a guy need to overcome? Chris said this when we were texting and I found out he wasn't going to be on the show. He said this. He said, two nights in a row, WWE primed us for an epic moment or match and just pulled the rug out from under us. That's exactly what happened with Cody losing the title match and Brock not teaming with him here. They built up this tag team match all show. Imagine being in that crowd and not getting that match. WWE on Sunday had a chance to end Roman's reign in a satisfying way, crown Cody and put a cap on what some may have called the best WrestleMania of all time, along with it being the most attended and highest grossing, just as the company, of course, was preparing to announce the Endeavor merger. Instead, we get swerved on consecutive main events. Cody gets destroyed, and we got an absolutely terrible Raw after WrestleMania in totality. It's almost like this was purposeful. It's almost like Brock's middle fingers were flipping off the fans on behalf of Vince. It's just absolutely wild to think that all of this happened and was planned this way with no explanation. Now, there was a digital exclusive that WWE posted after the show, featured Cody refusing help from WWE officials and medics. On the clip, a fan is screaming, Cody, Triple H doesn't forget, which I will admit made me laugh. Cody sold the beating big time, and it was a big time beating, so that makes sense. He kept collapsing as he walked, he refused a stretcher, and even Corey Graves jumped from commentary to help him. He eventually walked off holding his ribs under his own power, only to collapse again, on the stage as fans cheered for him. And it just feels like WWE is trying to get fans to rally around Cody, except they were already rallied around Cody. You know what I mean? Like, let's make believe Cody beats Lesnar, and then Cody beats Reigns for the title. Sure, that would be pretty epic. But is it more epic than him just straight up winning in the main event of WrestleMania 39? Absolutely not. And that's the problem with this. Again, even if that is going to be the booking, which who the fuck knows if it is, it's not going to be better than the alternative. And what does any of this have to do with the bloodline and that story? It's just, it's mind-numbing as of right now. Of course, next week could come, 
and we could get an explanation and it all makes sense. And we say this all the time on the podcast. We criticize something and then they come back and make it make sense. And you say, oh, okay, that actually is pretty good. But as of right now, and having that be the capper on a show as poor as the Raw after WrestleMania we got, just absolutely infuriating. So that's the main event. We have a lot more to talk about, of course. I'm not going to wrap Jay-Z's verse, but we are moving into the good, the bad, and the ugly. Now, before we start this segment, I want to make it clear the constraints of this grading system that we use where something either has to be good, bad, or ugly, it's going to lead me to call some segments good because they were not actively bad. That is not indicative of the quality that we got on Monday night. So please listen to the commentary and the analysis more than the grades themselves. So Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens came out to You Deserve It chance with KO agreeing they do deserve it, saying the fans do too. Sami said it's been a long year, and while it may be corny, it wouldn't have at all been possible without the fans. And they immediately wanted a challenge, which the Street Profits answered, saying the champs indeed did deserve it. But they showed out at WrestleMania 2, winning the men's showcase match, and deserved a shot. And a match was indeed made, though it was never called title or non-title. At least not that I could hear. So we had Sammy and KO against the Profits. Kevin Patrick called the champions a fairly new tandem. This coming out of a storyline about them being friends for 20 years. Zayn hit an Escalero Tornado DDT. Tope Hero and Sunset Flip Powerbomb off the ropes. The Profits hit an assisted flying blockbuster. Sammy hit an Exploder Suplex into the corner. KO added a Cannonball and Swanton Bomb for a broken fall. Montez Ford hit a perfect Tope Hero landing on his feet, but KO avoided the Frog Splash and hit the Stunner with Sammy doing the Sheepish Grin and the Huluva Kick for the 1-2-3 in a fantastic 3.75 star B-plus match. Really fun stuff. This was one of the best things on the entire show. Both the celebration and the match itself were good. My problem with this is the Profits won the showcase, and then immediately 48 hours later got pinned clean by the champions. They weren't technically number one contenders, and I don't believe this was a title match, but it felt like they were fed to the Lions here for no good reason when they could have instead built on that momentum. You don't have someone show out at a big show and then put them on Raw and have them lose right away. To the top team, where else are they going to go? So, (laughs) just really frustrating. Uh, Rey Mysterio came out for a promo after Bad Bunny during a ringside interview, was excited that WWE is going back to Puerto Rico for backlash. Fans were loud for Ray, who thanked them and Bunny, only for Austin Theory to interrupt. He shit on Ray as a bad father and put himself over for beating John Cena, which led to you tapped out chance. He razzed the crowd for not eating him alive like Cena promised, and they jawed until the bell rang. So we got Mysterio and Theory. Ray hit a tornado DDT and a springboard crossbody. Theory came back with the spinning powerbomb off the shoulders. Ray avoided ATL, and Theory avoided the 619. Ray countered a rolling move into a Hurricanrana, but as he went for the 619, Dominic distracted. That gave Theory time to catch the 619 and hit A-Town down for the win, giving him credit. Uh, victories over Cena and Rey Mysterio inside of 48, 49 hours. Dom and Damian Priest attacked after the bell. Then they spotted Bunny in the crowd. They trash-talked in Spanish. Bunny said something as Dom turned away. Dom swung at him. Bunny caught it and then socked him with a clean punch. Priest then pulled Bunny to ringside. Bunny nailed Dom again. Priest drilled Bunny with a forearm and then chokeslammed him through the announce table. Ray then ran over to check on Bunny with commentary selling it all really hard as Judgment Day got booed loudly. Adam Pierce yelled at Priest backstage, but Priest went right back at him that Bunny got involved at WrestleMania and he was the first to land a punch Monday night, which, hey, technically, he's right. It was later revealed that Bunny separated his shoulder with WWE apologizing to his fans. I thought this was a terrific segment, starting with Theory completely delivering in his promo, him and Ray putting on a fun-as-hell match, and then everyone delivering in the post-match, setting up what will clearly be at least a tag team match, if no one else is added, for Backlash. 
Even the backstage segment was great because it was completely logical from a heel perspective, even if it was an excuse. This was the third in-ring segment of the show, but an argument could be made that this should have immediately followed the opener. It was damn good. I saw some people didn't like it. I have no idea how anyone could not like this. Other than the main event storyline, I think this was my favorite thing on the entire show. Uh, Bianca, and I say main event storyline, the first two parts of the main event storyline. Not, of course, what happened at the end. Bianca Belair was the first woman we saw at all on Raw coming out to start Hour 3. She put over Asuka as an incredible challenger, only for Rhea Ripley to interrupt her mid-promo. Ripley said she's the luckiest because Ripley challenged Charlotte Flair instead of her. Fair play. She got in Bianca's face and promised they will feud sooner than later, and Belair said they will determine the best of the best at that time. It was a nice spot to get both the champions in the ring together and presumably begin a year-long build to their showdown at WrestleMania 40. So even though it was uneventful and it was also low energy, I did at least enjoy it if it was meant to be a tease for next year's WrestleMania, but we're not going to know that. So I'm going good, but just because it wasn't bad. Liv Morgan and Raquel Rodriguez fought damage control. Rodriguez stared down Ripley as this immediately preceded that segment, likely the begin of a build for a title match between them in the near future, maybe at one of the upcoming couple shows. This was for a women's tag team title number one contendership. Off the bat, this was nonsensical given Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler won the women's showcase, but with Rousey already injured and Baszler clearly screwing up her lower leg in that match, I saw no problem with WWE moving on at least temporarily with the other two established teams on the roster right now, which is what Morgan and Rodriguez and Damage Control to this point were. Now, when the match began, Bailey did not come out with the heels, and apparently that was a creative decision as she was told not to go with them. Who the fuck knows what that is all about? Dakota Kai tweeted on Tuesday that she loved Bailey. Bailey tweeted goodbye at some point. I think it was on Sunday. I don't think she's leaving, but I mean, something happened. Raquel powerbombed Liv into the heels outside. Rodriguez hit her spinning senton, then threw Io Sky into Dakota. Then she pounced Dakota into Io, hit the Tahana bomb, and then Liv followed with Oblivion for the win. I'm pretty sure two-thirds of this match was held during the commercial break, and it was the only women's match on the show. We barely got to see them wrestle. The right team won because damage control at this juncture are losers, but at the same time, them losing again coming out of losing at WrestleMania man, WWE really needs to break them up at this point. They're completely dead in the water, but now I'm concerned if they break them up that they're just going to get released given everything that's changing, so I don't even know what to think. This was, by the way, just eight months after they formed at SummerSlam. Like, you know what? They're basically the Riot Squad at this point. Like, it's probably an exaggeration because they were featured far more prominently than the Riot Squad ever was, but they lose at the same rate. The action was good, but everything surrounding it was not... I was going to go marginal good because the work was actually strong in the match, but shoving all the women into the first 30 minutes of hour three, including the next segment we're going to discuss, was so pathetic. And we, again, two thirds of this match were during commercial break. I have to go bad. It just wasn't that bad because some of the action was actually pretty good, but entire thing was totally frustrating. Becky Lynch, Lita, and Trish Stratus backstage were excited to have beaten Damage Control at WrestleMania, with Becky saying she was thrilled to continue elevating the women's tag team division by taking down Liv and Raquel next week. Perhaps WWE convinced Lita to remain with them, I guess, until Rousey and Baszler are cleared, or perhaps they somehow dropped the titles next week. Who knows? But it sure as hell feels like Lynch just set the table for another team to promise to elevate the division, only to immediately lose their titles. I have no grade for this just because nothing happened. Uh, Seth Rollins was filling himself backstage after the Logan Paul win and called for his music. Raw went to commercial break and then came back with Rollins out with the crowd singing his theme as he conducted them. 
and then he walked to the back. This was almost equally as odd. In fact, forget almost. It was equally as odd as Bobby Lashley walking out at WrestleMania and nothing happening. They literally did a cliffhanger into a commercial with Rollins so the fans could sing for him. I was absolutely flabbergasted by this. Ugly. Speaking of Lashley, he was backstage pissed about not being on WrestleMania. Bronson Reed confronted him aggressively, but when Lashley challenged, Reed said, not yet, but soon. So Mustafa Ali came up telling Lashley to be more positive and not take no for an answer. Lashley, of course, turned that around on him because he's a heel uh, with a challenge, and Ali said no, which Lashley didn't take for an answer. So he beat his ass through gorilla position out to the ring where the bell rang and he won a squash with the hurt lock. It was actually entertaining enough to be good. It was a thin margin. I'd have liked to see them actually wrestle. But the fact that they set up Lashley and Bronson Reed, I mean, and then used Ali as a device to kind of have Lashley get some of his aggression out, and it worked with Ali's character, I was down for all of that. By the way, reportedly, there was a Lashley and LA Knight segment scheduled for night two of WrestleMania that got shelved, and ultimately... Ending Raw without seeing LA Knight, WWE did not capitalize on all of the momentum he had coming off of that SmackDown. It's absolutely mind-boggling. They were in LA for three more days after that SmackDown and could not get him on TV. Guess why? Maybe because it's the dude who made him Max Dupree. Miz came out ranting about getting surprised over and again at WrestleMania. He made a funny comment about beating Shane McMahon so bad he couldn't continue, which did get a pop. Then he said he was sick of surprises when Matt Riddle returned to a nice ovation and loud bro chant. He was wearing like Speedo style underwear instead of his shorts, which made him look completely naked. It was very off-putting. Miz attacked from behind, but Riddle quickly got up on him and hit bro Derek to end the segment. It's a simple good for a return, but for this to be the only return or surprise on the entire show, other than Lesnar, I guess, was so disappointing. It's almost like they brought him back on this show just to say, see, we had someone return. It's the Raw after WrestleMania. Someone returned. Hey, what about everyone else who isn't back? Like Shinsuke Nakamura, just as one singular example. We didn't even get a promo from Riddle explaining his absence or expressing his excitement to be back or his motivation. He's fighting The Miz. He's not going after the United States Championship. That, in fact, I'm, I kind of just came up with that right now. That would have been a great motivation. You know, feed with theory. Try to go after and win that title. This, perhaps, could have been the second segment on Raw to keep the momentum going instead of what we actually got, which was Elias against Omos. This was a squash with Omos just dominating Elias. Again, it was the second segment of the show. The idea was to give him a win after losing to Lesnar, but it was a complete waste of time, bad segment, even worse creative decision to put a channel changer in the second spot of the show during a commercial-free hour. It was kind of mind-boggling. And I do have just one extra here. Uh, we got a glimpse backstage of Maxine Dupree gelling and styling Otis's hair while Chad Gable argued with her. It was a funny little moment. So that is the end of the Raw after WrestleMania breakdown for the good, the bad, and the ugly. The only thing left on today's show, as promised, we're going to go over the WWE Hall of Fame. And it was actually very entertaining. So we're going to get to end the show on a positive note. Let's get into that right now. Andrade El Idolo, Malachi Black, and Buddy Matthews from AEW were all there with, of course, Charlotte Flair's Lena Vega and Rhea Ripley, respectively. They're, you know, significant others, let's call it. Uh, none of them was shown on screen, but we did get to see Andrade's beard during a shot of Charlotte and Buddy's ponytail during a shot of Rhea. Apparently, Dean Malenko was also there and really good on Tony Khan for not restricting that and allowing everyone to attend. 
Rey Mysterio, of course, was the featured Hall of Fame entrant, and it probably goes without saying, but his video package was phenomenal. It hit everything one could want. Conan was the energy the entire ceremony needed as the guy who introduced him. He clowned Ray for being a surfer with long hair when he was 12 and talked about sneaking him into the shows when he was too young. Conan put Paul Heyman over huge for understanding talent as talent regardless of their size or look. He also put himself over for getting Ray a lot of his opportunities, but all of that was legitimate, so he deserved it. And he also said he sold Ray to WCW on the idea that kids would think he was one of them. Conan thanked Ray for saving his life when he was on his deathbed. I presume he meant financially. He called him a legend and an icon, appropriately being inducted in the City of Angels. Then he suggested being adopted in place of Dominic, which got a huge reaction. And he ended by saying, I call Ray Mysterio a scarecrow because he's outstanding in his field. What a bar. Great bar. This was legitimately a legendary Hall of Fame introduction. When Ray entered, he obviously got a huge pop and a standing ovation by everyone except Dominic, Rhea Ripley, and Damian Priest, who stayed seated as Ray dapped up and hugged everyone around him. This was great, and the crowd reaction was so amazing, he started crying before speaking. It was really touching. Just then, Dom, Ripley, and Priest stood up and walked out to booze. Ray said, I'll take care of business tomorrow to a huge pop, and obviously he did. I've said it before, I'll say it again. The Mysterios are the absolute best about keeping kayfabe alive. Ray wore a crown instead of a cross on his mask to honor Ray Mysterio Sr., which was a really nice touch. And he had a really emotional speech with stories about coming up and meeting his wife, Angie, including her quitting her medical studies to get a job so she could send him money to live as a wrestler. He appropriately put over Psychosis and Dean Malenko big, and of course, he went deep on Eddie Guerrero. He also put over WWE for investing in him over two decades, Heyman, Jim Ross, Eric Bischoff, Kevin Sullivan, a ton of other wrestlers, and of course, Conan for making it all possible. He said their family always thanks God first and Conan second for the life that they have. Great line. The fans were legitimately incredible during this entire speech with chants and shout outs the whole time, and he thanked them last. This was truly one of the most memorable Hall of Fame moments. Ray's speech was slow early, but he fully goaded his wife. It was hot through the finish. Let me say this also. Conan needs to be inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame very soon for his contributions to the industry. You flip the script, you have Ray induct him in two years, but this was awesome from start to finish and completely worth staying up late to see. Even if you don't want to watch anything else that I tell you here, you should watch those two speeches. Uh, Tim White, the referee, received the Warrior Award. The video package completely did him justice, touching on all parts of his career. Well, except for his unceremonious firing. Uh, But that's another story for another day. The APA did the introduction with Ron Simmons set up for Dam. They had some great stories about the Lucky Tap and how he'd use being a location for WWE shoots to basically get money to remodel the entire joint. And Tim's brother was extremely emotional. The induction was quite touching. The Great Muda was, of course, one of the other featured inductees. There was a fun clip on SmackDown where a production assistant left Muda's dressing room having just been misted. There was also a tremendous video package, including WWE superstars putting him over and even a clip from his singles retirement against Shinsuke Nakamura. Ric Flair inducted Muda and started by putting Asuka over huge, saying, quote, Asuka's a badass, make no mistake. Rick's speech was actually great. He made a couple of jokes about Triple H and Shawn Michaels, though he did spend a little bit too much time talking about like his experience with other Japanese legends. At the end, he put Muda alongside Ricky the Dragon, Steamboat, and Shawn Michaels, which, I mean, holy shit, for Rick to name Shawn with those other two guys, quite an honor and, and quite a triumvirate of incredible wrestlers that Rick you know, has wrestled and knew and all that type of stuff. Rick also thanked Muda. 
for treating his son like one of his own. Muda gave a short speech because he actually doesn't speak English, but he looked great and he was treated extremely well by the fans who even did a Muda chant. It was a really nice moment that ended with his mist and there was a great cut right after he did the mist. There was a great cut to Asuka, like jumping up and down, excited to see him do it and he is one of her idols. Andy Kaufman also got inducted. Fortunately, Jerry the King Lawler was able to do a video package from home as he continued to recover from his stroke heartbreaking that he wasn't able to be there. Jimmy Hart stood in for him and gave a relatively manic speech in his normal style. Andy's siblings accepted the honor, with his brother clearly thanking Triple H while he was walking down the ramp. Uh, Stacy Keebler was inducted by Mick Foley and Tori Wilson. Mick was extemporaneous. Tori was really sweet. She wrote her speech. Stacy's speech was fantastic. And it's always nice to remember that she was a legitimate wrestling fan before winning the Nitro Girl contest. And she came off really well uh, in her speech. And that really wraps up the WWE Hall of Fame from this year. I just have one you know, note for WrestleMania 40 weekend next year. WrestleMania is in Philadelphia. They better freaking induct Paul Heyman in Philadelphia. And not just induct him. He should be the headliner of the entire show. I hope they do it. I have to assume he's going to be on it. But maybe he wants to retire first. Maybe that's just the way he thinks. There's a lot of people like that. But it needs to happen. And let's kind of push that through. As you know, wrestling fans, Paul deserves his flowers. And he definitely deserves to get them at WrestleMania 40 in Philadelphia. Now that I think about it, WrestleMania 40, perhaps they won't have him headline. Let's say co-headline. Paul Heyman, Philadelphia, WrestleMania 40, Hall of Fame 2024 induction ceremony. And folks, that is this WWE edition of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, I will reiterate, I do have some notes coming out of WrestleMania that I wanted to discuss. I did have more notes on the WWE sale that I wanted to discuss. I've saved all those. I also had a number of your tweets, DMs, questions, comments about everything that's transpired over the last few days that I wanted to discuss. But I had to put forward the really big news and all the really, again, depressing and demoralizing creative changes in WWE. That all had to come first. I will try to get to as much of that other stuff as possible on Thursday's show. I will also save a good amount of time for Chris to talk about this next Tuesday on our upcoming WWE show. Um, That way he can kind of address some of these topics. But by the time we get there, Chris will be able to see not just the Raw after WrestleMania, but SmackDown on Friday and the Raw that follows that. So we should be in a place on next Tuesday's show where we can talk about this with greater proof, evidence, data, whatever you want to call it, on what creative is going to be like with these changes. But again, coming out of Sunday and then again Monday, you can't help but be depressed and demoralized. And I say that as someone who has been you know, doing wrestling podcasts for, I think, the better part of now six years. And you know the product was not good for a while. It got really bad for a while. It, it did improve for a period of time. And then Vince went away. And it got the best it had been in decades. It just on a week-to-week consistent basis, you know, premium live event quality, match quality, roster quality, you know, fa- uh, morale of the superstars backstage. Everyone was really loving being in WWE. Momentum for the company, not just ratings and and dollars and cents and all that, but you know, people in AEW wanting to go over to WWE, people in WWE loving their job, and all of it in a 48-hour period just seems to have been completely wiped off the table, again, at the whims of a madman. There will be plenty for us to talk about regarding all of this. Again, 
perhaps some on Thursday, but definitely next Tuesday. I'm glad that you subscribe to the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. And I got to tell you all, I'm taking a deep breath here because we just finished eight podcasts in eight days, including one that was, of course, not anticipated early Monday morning on the sale merger of WWE to Endeavor. So please do me a few favors on the way out here. Okay. Number one, follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Episode drops, news analysis, highlights, all that stuff. Please head over to buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. Consider supporting the show and acknowledging us. It's not just you giving us a couple bucks for podcasting. You get extra stuff. And as soon as you become a member, you will see everything that we've already posted and how accurate it is and how those who are already members are enjoying the content that we are providing. So please don't forget buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. The link is also in our Twitter bio at getting overcast. You can become a member monthly, annually. You can also just support the show. Please go ahead and consider that. And for everyone who is already an official getting overhead, we will be acknowledging you next Tuesday right here on the podcast. We certainly did not forget. It's just been an absolutely crazy week for Chris and I. One other thing you can do. Please remember that the Getting Over Wrestling podcast is all about D5. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Drop those five-star ratings on Apple. Please leave a five-star written review. Let everyone know how much you love the show, why you listen, and tell them why they should subscribe. If you leave a written review, we will read it live right here on the show. I say this all the time. I know how many of you listen to the show. I know how many reviews there are. Those numbers are nowhere near the same. We've been stuck at 488 for weeks now. And usually on WrestleMania week, we get a ton of written reviews, but we didn't get them this year. I don't know why. Despite numbers, by the way, being higher than ever before, I hope next week I'm going to announce some record listenership to all of our podcasts. But that is a conversation for another day. Please consider leaving the five-star written reviews. If you do, we will read it right here. Thank you all for listening to this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. The Silver King is going to take a nap and sign off. So at this point, I'm going to leave you with just three final words. Bye for now.